Hello and welcome to Tigers by the Fire, a podcast out of Holy Cross High School about World War II discussions and stories. This is episode five of season three, and we're looking at Operation Torch. With me are Will Constant. Hey guys. And Leland Fultz. Hello. And their podcast is going to be on, I guess, the implementation of Operation Torch and really the first major Allied offensive in the Atlantic, or at least from the Western front of the Atlantic, uh, against the Nazi war machine. And so I'm going to kind of let them start off. Uh, first off, you know, why did you guys choose this topic? We kind of chose this topic because it's not a really much talked about topic in World War II. Um, I didn't even know about this operation specifically. I just knew there was some fighting in Africa and I wanted to learn more about it. And it felt like it's been a good thing to help me with learning. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I never knew that. I thought that the African... Um, theater was just this one big thing, but it was like this coordinate um, set of things and began with torch and eventually would lead into the occupation of Libya. Yeah, and we also brought it up mid our discussion of which topic we should do, as well as Will was very grossed out at my original proposal of a topic. Well, it ends up being working out pretty well because I know we got to go to the museum and uh, actually watch a presentation on Torch. So yeah. that probably helped you guys out a little bit. But either way, I think it's an important topic, topical discussion. It's not one that really gets a lot of highlight in you know U.S. history textbooks, largely because you know it's not the big event. It's the smaller events uh, that build up to the big event. So uh, let's start off. I know uh, really bring us into... 1942, they're trying to open up a second or another front, and Stalin's being very pushy about this. So what can you tell me about the decision to even conduct Operation Torch? So what a lot of people don't realize about Operation Torch is there was a very big political alignment behind it, and it was probably the most political operation of any of all the war. Um, it was the only operation or one of two operations where FDR um, override, overrid his generals and said, no, we're doing this. Um, a big part was Stalin kept asking the allies and Churchill and FDR to open a second front. So they were debating on where to open that front. There was, however, some controversy nowadays that there could have been a more direct attack. But kind of I know it's well known that Churchill wanted to kind of let Stalin and Hitler kind of fight it out and kind of make each other weaker because even if they Stalin defeated Hitler, they'd still have to fight him eventually is what he thought. And there was some thinking that FDR was kind of thinking the same way. Churchill kind of convinced him. So they didn't want to do such a uh, frontal front attack, frontal assault on the Ger- on the Germans. So what they did is they decided we're going to invade Africa. We can say we're helping but we're really going to be attacking mostly the Vichy French and try and get them back to our side. So that was a big thing. There was a lot of fighting with the Vichy French during this time. Yeah, I think more so than the uh, Churchill theory. And I would probably like to preface that those are kind of theories. There's really no, uh, there's really no evidence that like Eisenhower or FDR wanted the Russians to just bleed themselves dry. I think that there was more of a logistical problem of invading Europe. They didn't have the amount of ships they needed. They didn't have the amount of uh, resources they needed yet. And so this presented an opportunity. But to your point, um, politically, it was pushed by Stalin. Stalin really wants a third front, or a second front, rather. This isn't the second front he wants. Uh, He wants something in mainland Europe. But it is something that is highly political. And you bring up the Vichy French, which I think is really important because – 
we didn't really know how they would react. And in different locations, they reacted differently depending on where. I'm sure that's what we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, so um, one big thing about the Vichy French, um, when the British and the Americans actually um, made a made a bulkhead on the beaches, they um, they had uh, megaphones on a lot of their equipment, like their tanks and their trucks, and they were saying in French that, hey, join our side, we, we want you, we're saving you from the Nazis. But it was a very big kind of overhaul from before where um, the British actually attacked a Vichy French um, fleet in, in harbor and killed over a thousand French sailors, which was a big deal, especially because they were allies. But since they were kind of a puppet state of the Germans, of the Nazis, the British kind of saw them as a threat and wanted to quell that threat before it could ever become something big. I mean, and that kind of leads into the fighting at Casablanca and Morocco, which I'm going to let Leland talk about. Yes. So Morocco was a very, I would say, very short um, thing. It only lasted about three days, and I would say definitely took a toll on the um, on Vichy France. It began with multiple artillery barrage, not artillery, naval barrages, which heavily crippled much of the any Moroccan resistance. And on the final day, which I believe was November 10th, um, the before Allies launched a full assault, um, that would be similar to how D-Day would operate with the um, drop-off boats, France, I mean, Vichy France would surrender, completely allowing the Allies to push into Morocco. Yeah, that that's probably a big um, big point in the war, and it also happened in places like Cas- Casablanca and Algiers. There are similar stories of there was some the pretty intense fighting in some places, and in other places, the Vichy French just surrendered. Um, but the the surrender of the Vichy French eventually led to Hitler saying, "All right, this isn't working. We need to completely get rid of the Vichy French government." And so he just topples it. He invades the rest of France, he takes over, and then that kind of leads to a more more French actually joining the Allies because now they're not the French anymore. They're, they're overrun by this other power. They can't even say that they're run by their own people. They, they're run by a foreign, foreign power that just is controlling them. So that's why a lot of them then turn to the Allies. Yeah, it's a very complicated political situation. I know we learned about that a little bit. Just with uh, de Gaulle in England and his relationship or lack thereof with Churchill and FDR and them keeping him in the dark on these things because a lot of the people in the Vichy government didn't like de Gaulle. And so it becomes really confusing, I think, for a lot of people when you start thinking about the, the political interactions with them. And as you said, the British did also attack the French Navy right after the French surrendered in 1940. So these are all little pieces to a very crazy story of political, you know, World War II mess, if you will. Yeah. So I think now we're going to go into why it was such an important, why it was such important, not really in the sense that it was um, really important uh, strategically, but it built on, a, it made a lot of the streets to strategic like basis for the rest of the war because they were using a bunch of new things and Leland's going to tell us about what they used and how that affected the rest of the war. 
Yeah, so once we see is the one of the new inventions, which is the aircraft carrier, or relatively new. We also see the M1 Grand being used in mass. Um, we also see the M1 Bazooka's first appearance, as well as, I believe, the first Allied amphibious invasion. So you could, I would assume, look at this as a testing ground for these new ideas, if you would argue that, um, for lack of a better term. Um, a big thing about the the M1, the bazooka, was that it was actually captured in mass at one point during Operation Torch by the Germans and was then reverse engineered into the Panzerkrieg, which if I think I think I'm saying that right. Panzerschlag. Um And that was the main um, main rocket uh, rocket anti-tank weapon for the Germans for the rest of the war. So that was kind of had a big effect overall, yes. too. Not even also that. And Leland, you were telling me earlier about um, Rommel using artillery pieces. Yeah, this is little after Operation Torch, where Rommel um, discovered that instead of fighting tanks with tanks, it was much more effective to use an artillery piece as an anti-tank weapon. He just simply aimed it at a tank and shot at it, which was proven very effective, and our allies would soon realize his these methods, which would later be used on into the war. Um, yeah, and so this was basically just, I know, like, the fighting was so different from the rest of the war, just in the desert and all that in Africa, but it was also a big way of kind of aligning the strategy of the U.S., the British, the U.S. and the British having air superiority, that was kind of a big a big point. They realized how important that was from this point on. And that's one of the big reasons why Operation Torch was such a success was because the Germans couldn't get their fuel and everything down there to fuel aircrafts. And their tanks would eventually just become sitting artillery pieces because without fuel, you can't really move a tank. But that this was kind of just like, especially for D-Day itself, this was a big like training ground almost and more of like, set up for it. Yeah. And it's about controlling the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and, and that's what, one of the things they do to your point at, at the beginning of all of this, uh, when the Nazis were pushing the British back all the way to Egypt at the battle of Alamein and everything that you know, the air support was really in the favor of the Germans, but by the end of it, it's, it's more for the allies. And so I think what both of you were kind of, you know, I guess hinting at is that in a lot of ways, the United States really hasn't been in a modern war. And this is them figuring out how to fight that modern war. Uh, what they've been doing in the Pacific is a little different. Logistically, it's a lot different in terms of what the soldiers are required to do, especially in these dense tropical environments. In a desert with wide open areas, tanks are important. And to Will's point, the ability to fuel that army is going to be the most important thing. And I, I think it's naive to not point out that the Germans are involved in the battle of Stalingrad at the exact same time. And they're involved in this big Eastern push and they don't have the resources to fund both of them. And so what happens? The gas runs out first for the Luftwaffe. And then, as you said, for the tanks. And at that point, Rommel doesn't matter what Rommel does because they're going to be overrun. Yeah. Um, and another big part was like, why, why did they choose the um, Operation Torch, why did they choose Northwest Africa for any specific reason? Um, there was a big, big scare for both sides. 
that Spain was going to get involved in the war if something happened. So the Germans really didn't want Spain involved, and the Allies really did want Spain involved on their side. Germany was thinking they might have air bases right in Spain, right across the mountains from France, and that would be a very bad thing. Um, so the operation actually took place off of the sh- from the Strait of Gibraltar, from Gibraltar, which was owned by the British at the time. And that was a very big point on why the also the control of the Mediterranean. Um, there were some, some original plans that just cutting off the rest of the Mediterranean and kind of just letting the Germans kind of starve themselves to death in um, Africa would have been a good idea. But that's another thing how um, how Churchill really, for some reason, wanted to attack um, Africa. That was, and he kind of convinced FDR, and that's what a lot of his generals wanted to do. Um, he, they wanted to kind of starve out Africa. And I felt like that was kind of a big point in kind of like just showing how much more political this was than every other like major military battle. And I would probably point out that they're all fairly political, especially in the European theater. Uh, but the reality is that the United States needs Great Britain for the war. Uh, it, it can't launch out of the United States. They have to launch it out of England. And so they need to appease Churchill. And to your point, you know, Churchill, obviously there's already an army in Africa that he wants to help push back against the Germans. And so for you know, a number of ways for the British, I, and I think we don't think about this enough, they needed a victory militarily more so than we did at the time. And so for them, I think getting that victory to push them out of Egypt and then across the coast of Africa and having a joint operation with the United States, which as we know, didn't really work that well between U.S. commanders and British commanders. Um, it was really important for the British people to see that they were winning the war. And I think Churchill, from a morale standpoint, needed that. Um, he is also petrified of invading Europe. Um, I think there's a big fear there that he has that, the, that it'll fail because the British had failed in previous operations on a couple of different raids and everything else. So I think all of that kind of goes along with it. Uh, what were some other options that they could have done if they hadn't have gone to Africa? So some other options would have been kind of starving out uh, the German forces in Africa, like I've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Another thing would have been attacking the south of France from the Mediterranean, although that was going to be a little bit harder because they didn't really have the resources at the time to do a full frontal assault. Um, Another option would have been to attack Sicily and Italy and try and push in through there, which they eventually would. And in Greece, they could have also had a foothold. Um, Those were some other options. But another big option was Norway which um, kind of no no one really agreed that that would be that was kind of the most likely option. But it was also probably going to be the hardest and the one that Churchill said, yeah, we really want to go to Normandy. And then America and FDR and all the generals said, we will fail if we go to not Normandy, Norway. Sorry. Yeah. Norway in the North Atlantic obviously presents some some pretty hard uh combat scenarios. The Germans had a tough time in Norway as well. Uh, I know the only plus is that it gives you a very, very good strategic bombing uh, route that you can take into Central Europe. But yeah, I think that the Africa thing just makes sense. Um, I don't know how seriously they took the other part, but yeah, the starving out of the German soldiers just didn't really... I know some American generals had thought that, and that was more because they're prioritizing what they're doing. Uh, and keep in mind that there's a big fight in the American high command about the effectiveness of bombing 
as we're going to see throughout 1943. So that, that's the other big issue. But uh, it ends up working out after a few stumbles. Uh, I know in your research, you know, it doesn't go well the whole time because the American army gets beat at Kazarine. So how did the American army adapt over the course of this? So after the battle of Kasserine, a lot of the U.S. found more tank strategies, and also they kind of reallocated and were a little more focused on working with the British Army, which was something that they did not do well with before. They kind of, um, while the the British kind of almost used the Americans during that battle and in other battles as kind of like throwaway, just like troops to get slaughtered, which obviously did not bode well for morale for either side. And so eventually they started working together and um, that was especially important in the final battle, which kind of pushed them out of all of Western Africa and overall just kind of learning to work together, learning new strategies like with aircraft, aircraft superiority, like mentioned before tank strategies and how important supply lines were. That was a very big, just again, it was just a testing ground for everything. And although it was a testing ground, it still was brutal battles. And a lot of Americans, a lot of British, a lot of Vichy French, a lot of Free French, and a lot of um, Germans lost their lives. And it's, it wasn't war games. It was, it was war, and it shouldn't be detracted from that. Yeah, and it has a huge impact because obviously the Supreme Allied Commander, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, this is his first actual uh, leadership role in terms of a combat operation. And after this, he becomes the Supreme Allied Commander of the European Theater in charge of both British and American and other coalition armies that, that are in existence. And so I think that's an interesting thing, too, uh, that they realized the command structure needed to be centralized into one leadership mold. They couldn't have competing generals, British and American. They had to put uh, a singular group in charge. I think that was another big, a big factor at the end, after the end of it. Yeah, I think that was a very big point. Just talking overall about how the, um, just eventually that, that one person in charge would lead to the Normandy invasion and it would eventually be his call for that invasion, which was probably, it is, it was the turning point of the war for the allies and if that wouldn't happen, if somebody else would have decided to go somewhere different, there is no telling where we would be even today and what that war would have ended up like. Yeah, and I want to – I like to view like Operation Torch as a small little spark that would lead into the invasion of um, Normandy D-Day because without Operation Torch, you would not have these advantages to go on to D-Day, go on to um, any operation after this. And on the scales of operations, it was actually a pretty small operation. It only involved a little area in compared to the Germans' operations like Operation Barbarossa, which was absolutely massive, um, and Operation Overlord, which was D-Day. It was fairly small, and it, they didn't have the scale of soldiers, and it was kind of like somebody playing with a toy train set and then going on to running an actual train. It's going to give you some experience, but you still need to learn stuff later. And so, again, that was another big point. Just it, it was a, it was the spark that lit the explosive and blew everything up. Yeah, and it, and it gave them access to the Mediterranean, and it gave American bombers access to Italy and Central Europe. 
Um, and then to your point, it does directly lead to the invasion of Italy, which is at the end of 1943, um, with Sicily first and then Italy after. And then you, you go into 1944, and that's where D-Day is. And D-Day is really a byproduct of all three, uh, Africa, Sicily, and Italy kind of combined. And so they're going to use a lot of different strategies that they came up with that. So, Yeah, well – I think we went over everything that we thought about. Unless Lee, so. you have anything else? Um, I believe that um, that is not really talked about as much, um, mainly because it was the first operation, so it was a bit. Well, it was only a, like a year or two longer than the rest of the war, which is why there's you don't really hear. I had trouble finding firsthand accounts, yeah. many of them. Um, mainly because these bigger operations that led into the war would just take up the, um, the memory. Yeah. And another thing I found out is that it was vastly unpopular with the, um, with the public. Like, they, they knew that Hitler was the enemy, but also in the same time, they're like, why are we fighting in Africa? Mm-hmm. That nobody really understood why Africa, like, the average person wasn't thinking, oh, we have to take the Mediterranean first. They were thinking, let's just attack the Germans. Let's check, attack the Japanese. Let's finish this. And it, so it, it was vastly unpopular. It wasn't like D-Day where when the news got back to to everybody, they were like, oh, yay, we, we won. They were like, oh, we did this thing in Africa. Why are we in Africa? It's kind of like similar today how there, there are Americans with views like, why did we go to Afghanistan? Why did we do that? Like, it wasn't they they weren't the main enemy in some people's eyes yeah well it's a good conversation guys i appreciate it and this was tigers by the fire episode five on operation torch